We finished off chapter 2 the last time we were together, and we saw how the church was being built on the cornerstone of Jesus, that He is the foundation, that we are building, being built as a house for the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul writes, For this reason, for the reason of the church, for the reason of the building that has been built for the Holy Spirit, for this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written. I don't know if Paul could ever really write briefly about anything, but... <laughs> But anyway, that's how, describe, how he describes it. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of his holy apostles and prophets. So these things were not made known to the previous ones, but are now, now made known to us. Now, what are these things that he refers to? And so in this, uh, as we look on this part, getting ready for some of the things that are to come, we need to take a look at this concept of the ages. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. We are now living in a dispensation of grace, often referred to, also called the church age. That is what it's called. But how many of you are familiar with all the other dispensations that are there? And this is what Paul is referring to. And he's expecting that they have knowledge of what he taught on this, this area. Now, the other dispensations that come, and you know, some folks are, they get off into dispensationalism and, and uh, putting God in different boxes and such things as that. I heard um, uh, my pastor, Pastor Bob, down there in Tulsa, he gave this, this idea of it. I think I put it in your outline for you. Probably uh, have to skip ahead. But he put in there that dispensations begin with the mercy of God and end with the failure of men. I thought that's pretty good. <laughs> dispensations begin with the mercy of God and end with the failure of men. And so generally what happens was God puts something in operation and that works until men fail. And then when men fail, he puts in something else by his mercy to get things fixed again and make them right. And then that goes on until men fail again. And then when men fail again, God, with his mercy, gets it going again. It's, it's not that God's trying to deal with different boxes or, or, or put restrictions on us. It's just that man keeps messing up. Every time man messes up, God comes through and it's even better. Paul's already taught us that as, as uh, bad as sin is, mercy abounds. So no matter how much there is sin, there's more mercy. So no matter how much mess up man does, there is more mercy of God to set things right again. Glory to God for that. So we had the first age was the age of innocence. This is from creation to the fall of man. Uh, man messed up, right? Everything's working fine. God's got it all by his mercy. He sets up and he gives man this beautiful garden. And he says, you can eat of all the trees, everything in here, except that one. That's the only one you can't do. Just stay away from that one and you'll be fine. So I, we, we have in here salvation, the salvation gospel. Because you'll notice that the salvation gospel, the message of it, basically changes just a little bit between each one. Here, it's, this is the salvation message. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, you can't get much simpler than that, can you? <laughs> you see that tree? Don't eat from it. That's salvation. 
As long as you, you can go out and do anything you want to, don't eat from the tree. And it's, everything is good. So the message that Adam and Eve were to preach to the people on the earth, if they had had the kids and you know multiplied on the earth before they fell, if they had done all that, the message they would have preached as evangelists, as teachers, as prophets, whatever it was, don't eat from the tree. See that tree? Don't eat from the tree. That's the only message you have to preach to everybody. Don't eat from the tree. Pretty simple gospel. But then man messed it up and then the age of innocence was over. And then we go with what we call, now God didn't call it this. We call it this, the age of conscience. This goes on from the fall until the flood of Noah. Here's, here's the salvation message here. Do good, don't do evil. That's basically it. Do good, don't do evil. Now, you know, it's a little bit broader than don't eat from the tree. But do good, don't do evil. You know, that was it. Now, this ends in the flood of Noah. And, of course, the flood of Noah was not a flood to, uh, that was necessarily to wipe out all the sinful people. The flood of Noah was to wipe out the, the uh, genealogies, the bad genealogies, when the sons of God, or, you know, the fallen angels, came on down to the daughters of men and they had, had babies, and we have um, giants on the land. And so the first flood wiped out the giants. And that's why, you know, Noah was perfect in his actions. No. He's perfect in his generations. And Noah was not an evangelist. Noah was not trying to go out there and get anybody to jump on the ark. He's trying to get them saved, but the ark, sorry, it's uh, me and mine. That's it. And some animals. You know, we'll bring them along there too. But here's the message, uh, uh, you know, for these guys. Do good. Don't do evil. And so then we have the flood, and then you have Noah, and we're starting all over here. We have perfect generations. Well, then, you know, the devil come on down, and he... Uh, now, I had to, he got some other, another group of angels because the first one was judged. The New Testament tells us that the first group of angels was judged and they were put into a place called Tartaros. And then another group of angels, Satan was able to talk them into doing the same thing. And so they came on down and did the same thing. We have more giants and these giants are where Goliath came from and Og and all these other ones that we, we have stories about. And David wiped out the last of those giants, but Israel was supposed to wipe them all out when they took over Canaan. They didn't do that. But anyway, here we have, uh, this goes on to the Tower of Babel, and all the people all speak one language. And the gospel message here, believe in and submit to God. Not just do good, but believe in and submit to God. And then we got this group of people over there that not, we're not going to submit to God. In fact, we're going to build a tower to the heavens. We're going to do what we want to do and, and uh, so forth. And God looked down upon man and he said, well, it looks like, you know, they keep on going this way. They're going to you know, head in a direction and nothing's impossible to them. And so he broke them all up with uh, different languages and things like that. We talked about this recently because we my wife and I were listening to this, uh, that uh, Satan took note of this and noted that people, when they are divided, don't work as well together. And so ever since then, he's always trying to put divisions in people. And in groups of people, and Israel, he had divisions in there. He said divisions in the church. And as long as we keep having divisions, we won't get as much done. So he learned that lesson here at the Tower of Babel. But then after we get out of that, we go on to another one. This is the age of covenant or promise. And this began when Abraham received the promise from God and went all the way up until the end of the Egyptian captivity. Here's the salvation message here. Believe God's promises. 
If God promised it, believe it. Now, Abraham struggled with this for a while, didn't he? God had a promise, but he, he struggled with that just a little bit. He wasn't quite uh, getting a hold of that because he kept faltering on that thing. You know, well, you know, I don't have a kid yet. and It was the promise of God. But this is the, the age of covenant or promise in which God gave a promise. God gave it covenant and God gave it to Abraham. And he said, through you, all nations will be blessed. But Abraham struggled. We saw that eventually he, he got there. But this goes all the way up through not just the time of Abraham, but all the way up to the end of the captivity. And here's again the salvation message is believe God's promises. I put this in my notes. It's not there in yours. If you want to write it there, you can. I have a couple of side things from, from here on out on these. And that is, this one is looking future. There was something, all the other ones are looking towards the actions of now. Don't do this or do this or believe this or, or whatever. But this one's going future. Fulfillment is coming. Believe God's promises. Fulfillment is coming. The promises of God are going to be fulfilled. Look to it. It's coming. And so now we're getting our eyes focused on the future. Focused on what's coming down. Believe God's promises. God's promises are coming. Israel had the promise from God. We're going to have the land. We're going to have this. And they're captives in Egypt. They're supposed to be looking ahead to the promise. The promise is coming. The fulfillment is coming. They didn't do so well with that, did they? They struggled with that. They were murmuring, groaning, and complaining and all that. And then, of course, we have the age that everyone is very familiar with, the age of the law. This goes from Mount Sinai all up until the cross. Here's the message. Obey God and keep His commandments. Obey God and keep His commandments. I mean, isn't that what they preached? Here's the law of God. This is what God wants us to do. Let's do it. Come on, we can all do this. Here it is. Let's do it. We can't get it done. We're not, we're not doing so well. And here's what it looked to. The law and the prophets, they all pointed towards one thing, which was Messiah is coming. The whole idea was Messiah is coming. We had the law. The law brought in all the sacrificial things and, and the blood of the bulls and the blood of goats. But it all pointed to the fact that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, and His blood was going to do away with the sacrifice. His blood was not only going to cover up sin, it's going to wipe it out. And so we look to the, the future here. Messiah is coming. And then we come up to the time that we're in, the age of grace, the church age. It ends with the rapture of the church. It begins with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The salvation message, confess and submit to Jesus' Lordship and believe in His resurrection. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's basically what it is. Confess and submit to Jesus' Lordship and believe in His resurrection. Boy, is that not under assault? You know, we can't even mention the name of Jesus in most circles. God's okay, but not Jesus. But confess and submit to Jesus' Lordship and believe in His resurrection. Here is... What we're looking to in this one, this one's real easy. What are we looking to in the church age? The rapture. And we're looking to the rapture of the church. The church is going to be taken out. The rapture is coming. And we're going around preaching the message what? You don't, well, you certainly we submit to God, confess it, it, Jesus, believe in His resurrection, but the rapture is coming. There's a nasty age after that. We don't want to be here for that. But the rapture is coming. Get in on the rapture of the church. 
And so we're talking about that. That's our future thing. That's what we're looking to. The rapture is coming. And then we have the, the final one. Maybe not the final one, but at least the last one in this uh, list there. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ after the second coming of Christ for a thousand years. After Christ comes back a second time, we begin the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and it lasts for one thousand years. After which Satan must be released. I don't know why. <laughs> But the Word of God says that Satan must be released. If the Word of God says that Satan must be released, what's that mean? He must be released. He must. We may not know why. We may not like it. But the Word of God says he must be. He must be released. So if he must be released, then we'll let God release him. We just we all know what's going on, and he's not pulling us in. I don't know if he can pull us in. I don't know if he can't pull us in. But I know this: he's not gonna. Because <laughs> I know about it. I'm looking, oh, about a thousand years. I know what's happening now, and you're not going to get me. <laughs> uh-uh. I'm not rebelling against God. No, no, no. Because I know what happens. I read the end of the book. It's not going to go on here. Oh, the kingdom is coming is the message here. This is what they're looking for in the in the... In this part, the kingdom is coming. All through the millennial reign, we are going to, we're in a kingdom, but guess what? Another one is coming. A new heaven and a new earth that's coming. Now, the first three of these we looked at end looking to judgment coming. They all three looked at the end to judgment coming. The age of innocence, conscience, they all looked at the, the, at the end of it, judgment was coming. But the final four, when we we're giving you these future things they're looking at, they they ended they the four, they began and ended looking to mercy arriving. As I was pondering these things and looking at these things, that's what, that's the one thing I noticed about it. The first three, they at the beginning of the age they were not looking for judgment, but by the end of the age they looked to the judgment that was to come. But the other four, from the beginning, looked to the mercy that would come at the end. The final four begin and end looking to mercy coming. Now, here's a question for you. Where does the tribulation fit in? Because now some people want to put the tribulation in its own dispensation. You can't do that. It is not its own dispensation. The tribulation is not an age of itself. The, it, it, some people want to say, well, the tribulation is just a special time. It's just special. It is special time. It is a special I guarantee it is a special time. But it... it it is not part of the church age because the church age ends when? At the rapture. The millennial reign begins when? At the second coming. So you definitely have a gap between the rapture of the church and the second coming of a period of seven years. There is an age. There is something in between there. And for the answer to this, we simply go back to the question that the disciples asked. Master... When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And when will be the end of the... What age are they asking about? They don't know about the church age. They don't, they don't even know there is a church coming. No idea. They're in what age? The law. They're in the age of the law. And Jesus does not say a new age is coming. Does not say a different age is coming. He just says that the end of the age will be... That the, that the end of the age will be the end of the tribulation. Which brings us back to the fact that the age of the law, folks, except that Jesus said, it is finished. 
Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. So here you got a major problem. Jesus said that age is fulfilled, that age is over, that age is done. And then he also says it will end here. <laughs> Boy, we got a mess. Let's go on. You all figure that out and get back to me on it. No, we won't mess you up with that, will you? <laughs> no, it's simply, it's simply this. We look at some of these other ones. Let's go back to some of these, these other things uh, that were there. Um, we had the law, just that one period of time, was from Mount Sinai until the cross, right? At the cross it ended. When did the church age begin? At Pentecost. How, many, how much time was between there? <laughs> so, no, so there are some days in between. What's that called? What's that? Intermission. intermission. <laughs> Got a little intermission in between. I mean, it's not labeled, is it? Is it the end of that age? Is it tacked onto the edge of the end of that age? Or is it part of the beginning of the other age? Well, we don't know. And the tribulation is similar. We don't really know. What part it is, but this much we do know. It's not part of the church age. If it ties in, and it's not part of the millennial reign. So the only thing it can tie into is an intermission or so after the law age. The law is fulfilled. Now here's where you get into some real fun stuff. In the tribulation, the law is fulfilled. So the, the Christians that are alive in the tribulation cannot go back to the message that was preached during the time of the law. They can't be preaching that one. You can't be preaching salvation by the means of how it was under the law. Because Christ has already come and has already put that in operation. So the tribulation message, and Jesus even gave them, this is the message of the, God, this is the, message of the kingdom. He told them what the, the message would be during their time. That the judgment was coming and that the kingdom was arriving and that they were to preach that message. Now, during the time of the law, were they preaching that the kingdom was arriving? No. But Jesus tells them that that's what you'll be preaching during the tribulation. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom of the millennial reign is coming. So I would see this more as an extension of the law, but with new set of rules. Because we're not going back to the law anymore. But it's the end of the age. Now, I've always heard it explained to me this way, that uh, back in the book of Daniel... When Daniel, he's in the Jewish age, he's in the Jewish time, and he has the 70 weeks. And in that 70 weeks, you had 69 weeks, which has already been fulfilled. And at the end of that 69 week, Christ was cut off. Messiah was cut off. But you still had a 70th week to go, right? But he was cut off at the end of the 69th week. The 70th week is part of the, or the, the final week is part of the original 70, which ties into the previous dispensation. Which means that the church age is a tack on to the one that was before. But in the very end of it, Christ, Messiah, was cut off. And what happened was that Jesus, or whoever has a stopwatch in heaven, God the Father, had a stopwatch for 70 weeks. And it was ticking, 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 getting real close. The angel was saying, boy, it's almost time, it's almost time that he stops it. And then he starts a new one. Where's that one coming from? What's this new watch? He's got this other one going. And no one knows what this one says. And he, but he's looking at it. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Not time for what? What are you going to do? What happens when you get done that one? Well, he shuts this one off and he starts this one back up to finish off the 70th week. And once he does that, then they're all done. And so that's what Paul is saying. 
You know, I told you about all this stuff. Make sure you keep this in mind. Now, you all got that straight, right? <laughs> Apparently, it's, it's kind of important that we understand that, that this is how God had, had done things. Well, dispensations begin with the mercy of God and end with the failure of men. Boy, is that not the, certainly the case. But he goes on. Well, let's just read over those, those first verses again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, they're at the beginning of this. This is all new stuff. I mean, can you imagine being there for the transition? How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, he's not bragging here, but he's, he's been given the understanding of something that was known by God, revealed by prophets, but no one understood it. It was a mystery. It was something, a mystery in the Word of God is not something that is hidden for the purpose of keeping it from you. The mysteries in God are hidden until the time is right for them to be revealed. And what happened was Paul was called up into heaven and he had all this incredible Old Testament knowledge. Of his day, Paul is one of the foremost authorities on the Old Testament. He is, he is high up in his knowledge of the Old Testament. And God calls him up into heaven and shows him all that stuff you knew in the Old Testament. Here's where Christ was. And he begins to reveal to him how Christ was throughout all the, the scriptures that he had studied, never saw Christ before. But now God was revealing it to him. He says, now I want you to go on down and your job is to reveal this to the people on the earth. No one knows this. I've revealed it to you. I have pulled you out special. I've called you to this purpose, that you were to take this mystery to the world below. And so Paul wrote about this mystery in his epistles. Paul taught about this, this mystery wherever he went. He started a new church. He would teach them about this, these principles of the mystery of God, the mystery of the church, the mystery of this age. Something that was revealed, but our eyes were not there to see it just yet. But now our eyes are. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of his holy apostles and prophets. It's now been revealed. It's been revealed now. We are to learn about this. It, the doors are open. Anyone can learn about it. We all can have our eyes opened. Verse 6, and the gen, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, we've already gotten a glimpse of that in some of the things he talked about before. Talked about all the division, dividing in groups and things like that. He says, no, 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 no. No more dividing in groups. Here's where we're at. That we are all fellow partakers of his promise in Christ through, through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. He's not, I'm no big man because this is given. I'm the least of all the people. I was out there murdering Christians. I was out there disrupting things. When this whole thing got going, I didn't see it at all. But he, he pulled me out, gave me the mystery of this thing. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. There is a fellowship of the mystery that Paul said it as his purpose to make sure everyone understand, everyone see, from which the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. From the beginning of the ages, 
this thing was hidden in God. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, there are some unique things about this age. There are some things that are set off in this age that were not set off, that were not done in any previous age. This is a different time. We need to understand that time. And though we, may, we face many obstacles in this time, if we are not taking advantage of the things that are unique to the mystery, the church age, then we are going to be ill-prepared. The first thing is the priesthood of the believer. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a what? A holy priesthood. Priesthood. Now in the old time, under the, the law, there was only one group that was supposed to be. Who were? The Levites. And when Jeroboam broke off and he made priests of all nations, God didn't look too kindly on that, did he? That was not such a good thing. But now every, now God's going to do it. You know, if, if God wants to do it, <laughs> you let him do it. Don't you set up your own rules. God makes, it, God makes the rules, but before the foundation of the earth, he made these rules. And he said, there's coming an age when everyone, everyone will be a priest. Well, what was the priest to do? A priest in the Old Testament was to go into the Holy of Holies, to minister before the presence of God, to bring the sacrifice to God and act as a mediator. This is what the priest was to do. And he said, I'm calling you all to that now. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are all called into this ministry. We are all able to go into the Holy of Holies. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Verse 9, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that. First Peter 2, 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. A holy nation. The King James, I believe, puts it this way, a peculiar people. <laughs> we, all, we like that, don't we? We're peculiar. <laughs> we all knew that anyway. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. That you may proclaim the praises of Him. You see, this is what our purpose is as priesthood. We are to proclaim the praises of our God. And when we fall into anything else outside of that, we are falling away from that purpose. This is some of the importance of some of the things we've been getting into the last couple of Sunday mornings. While we've been in such a hurry to get them loaded up to the internet so you all can get a hold of those things. Because this is what we're called to be. To proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Revelations 1, verse 6, And has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Well, beside priesthood, what else are we called to do? The infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is new. Now, in the Old Testament, certain ones would be filled with the Spirit for a purpose. And when that purpose was fulfilled, the Spirit would, would not fill them anymore. Samson was called for a purpose. Well, not the, the greatest person in the world, but the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would do as he was, was uh, 
power to do. David would have the Spirit of God come upon him. And the different ones, the Spirit of God came upon them and they would do the thing they were called to do. And then the Spirit of God would leave. Moses would have the Spirit of God come upon him and the Spirit of God would leave. But you are to be filled. And constantly being filled with the Spirit. In Luke one fifteen, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is speaking... John, this is, this is new. This is unique. We mean filled from, the, from his mother's womb, womb until he's going to be filled with the Spirit all that time? This is something new. And, of course, the Spirit of God came upon Jesus. And we never heard that the Spirit of God came again upon him. The Spirit of God stayed upon him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after the through. The Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering of many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're, they're, they're not understanding the dispensations. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, you know one time they asked him, when will these things be? And they said, well, I don't know. And then this time he doesn't say, I don't know, does he? He says, it's not for you to know. <laughs> he didn't say he didn't know. Sometimes I had the picture that, you know, Jesus doesn't know. I don't think that's true anymore. I think Jesus knows exactly when. I think God the Father knows exactly when. Of course, they're one, but, you know, he had separated himself before, and he said, nah, that's for the Father to know. But then when he's asked again about it, that's not for you to know. But the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the promise that he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And this is going to be poured out. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And he's going to be with you. He's going to fill you. He's going to stay with you. This is what's going to happen. Beside the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there is also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Ephesians already talked about how we were being built to, to be a holy temple. John chapter uh, 14, 17, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. Second Timothy 1.14, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So there is a dwelling of the Holy Spirit and there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to have the Holy Spirit not only dwell with us, but also infill us. Fill us up and have that going on. This, for this age, folks, this is what we need. This is the end times and the enemy would be coming up. One of the things the enemy comes up to do is to deceive. But the Holy Spirit, the giver of truth, fills us on the inside. He dwells with us. We will not, we cannot be deceived. Jesus even said, if possible, that even the elect would be deceived. It is not possible for the elect to be deceived unless they do not act like the elect. 
unless we do not take advantage of what is ours. One, the Spirit of God indwells us. Two, the Spirit of God fills us. These are things. If the Spirit of God indwells us and the Spirit of God fills us, it does not matter if you know all truth because He does. Glory to God, and He reveals it to us. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I may say, you know, I don't know. Is that, is that right or wrong? But the Spirit of God said, that's good. That's good. Take it. Oh, all right. That's good. I'll, I'll take some of that. You know, glory to God that, that we have that sort of thing going on. That we don't have to just go out there and just kind of sample everything. We just ask the Holy Spirit. Is this good? Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I'll take that. Take some of that. And... uh is that, is that not? No, that's not. Don't, don't, don't take that. That's, and, and you can just be there. You'll be in service. Someone's teaching. And you're just down on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will say, no, no, no. That's not it. That's not right. And then other stuff, you don't even have the revelation of it. You don't have the understanding of it at all. But down on the inside, your spirit says, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's right. I've had that happen. Listening to something. Oh, I know this is good. But I have no understanding of it at all. I have no idea what this is about. But the Holy Spirit says it's good. So I said, all right, I'm going to take that and meditate on it. That means I'm going to take it and chew on it. I'm going to take it and mull over that for a little while. And it, but you can trust the Holy Spirit. You know, you can trust the Holy Spirit to tell you when things are good. Not so much with family members. You know, family will deceive you. You know, family will tell you something's good and it's, it's no good at all. I've even tried to do it sometimes. I tell family, oh, that's awful. Oh, that's terrible. You know, it's just so they won't take any more of it. <laughs> Sometimes we get together, oh, no, that's bad. Oh, no, that cheesecake, bad, bad. Oh, it's not good. You know, I'm just trying to spare people's feelings and finish it off, but you don't have to do that. Yeah, I told you about that time we were on vacation and we were over there and we were down in uh, Mexico and we were sampling. They, they do not have good desserts in Mexico. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the place we were at. They do not have good desserts in Mexico. We try, I tried them all. I didn't like any of them. And so we were in the beginning part of it, you know, and they had one of these pies that was sitting there and had a little piece of fruit on top of it. And uh, well, Christian got his, and, you know, we both went up to the dessert thing together. We both got it. And so he, uh, he got his, and he sampled his, and he ate his, and, and just went on with the rest of it. And he said, Dad, uh, taste your fruit. I said, why? He, he said, why don't I just, just taste it? So I tasted it. It was the worst possible fruit in the world. I, whatever, I mean, it had to come right from hell. It was awful. It should not have been allowed on a food table. It was really, really bad. And so I took that thing in, and my whole face grimaced like, oh, this is awful. Oh, this is terrible. His didn't. He ate his, and his face didn't grimace up at all. He was just fine. He ate his, and no no problem. Just taste it. See how that is. Oh, it was awful. See, family will deceive you. I said, oh, that is terrible. He said, good. It's not just mine then. <laughs> Oh, man, I tell you what, that was terrible. He did all that with a straight face, too. <laughs> See, family will deceive you. The Holy Spirit won't, though. <laughs> if it's bad, he'll tell you, that's bad. Don't get, no, don't, don't meditate on that. And you just, no, no, I'm not going to meditate. It may sound interesting to your flesh, but your, your spirit is saying, nope, nope, that's not good. And you just stay away from it. Holy Spirit's not going to lead you in that. He is, John 14, 7, the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. He leads you to light. The Holy Spirit leads you to light. Keep your eyes on the light. Keep your eyes on the light. That's what you need to do. My wife and I were listening to a 
to a service here this morning while we were in their shop standing up and doing some stuff. We were listening to a service, and, and uh, he was teaching on some things and was saying, you know, if you keep your eyes on the light, you won't be deceived. The problem is we get our, lights, our eyes off of the light, and as soon as you turn away from the light, what are you looking at? Darkness. And as soon as you look at the darkness, you can't tell darkness. You can't tell untruth because you're in darkness. Keep your eyes on the light. Keep your eyes on the light. He is the spirit of truth. He'll keep your eyes on there. As soon as you start turning them off, he'll say, nope, nope. You may not know why, but down on the inside of your, down in your nowhere, as Brother Hagin used to tell us, <laughs> down in your nowhere. <laughs> Second Timothy 1.14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to keep the good thing that's on the inside of you. But you've got to pay attention to Him. He's infilling you. He is indwelling you. You've got to make sure that you put some time to that. This is the time. This is the, the, the point where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are poured out. Where the Holy Spirit Himself is poured out. Where we can pray in the Spirit. We don't have to just pray by the things that we know. We can pray by the Spirit. So we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We have the fact that we are priests. For the church, the body of Christ, Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church on this confession that you are the Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Are you part of the church? If you're part of the church, then the gates of hell will not prevail. But how many times does the devil want to get us into a situation? Oh, you're going down on this one. Oh, the church isn't going through. And oh, no, this is too... No, 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 don't buy into it. The church will not be prevailed upon. The Spirit of God says, or the, I'm sorry, the Word of God says right here, Jesus is saying, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not. It ain't going to happen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we read this before. And he put all things under his feet. How many things? How many does that mean? Did he leave anything out? Is there anything that you're facing that he left out? Anything at all? When, when God said all, did God forget anything? Did anything, was anything not on his mind at the time? Did, oh, I forgot about that one. No, he, when God says all, it means all. It means all the things you could ever conceive of, all the things that could ever come up. It don't matter if cancer wasn't around then. Cancer is part of the all. Not just the things that were there, but all things. He put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And gave Him to be head over all things to the church. So if He is the head, which is over all things to the church, which is His body, so the church is His? We are His body. He is the head. What are under the feet? All things. Which means all things are under you. The body. Because if you have the head the body, and all things under the feet, then all things have to be under you. He is the head. He tells the body 
What to do? We listen to the body. We are submitted to Him. We listen. He has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who dwells all, who, who I'm sorry, who fills all in all. This is all part of this dispensation, part of this age, that we are the body of Christ. Under the previous one, they were not part of the body of Christ. They were called the bride, as are we. We told you that this, that uh, that part before that we are called the bride whenever we're looked at as far as the the marriage is. But when 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 it's battle time, you don't send brides in the battle. <laughs> Who do you send? No, we're not just talking the you know, men and women here. We're talking the body of Christ. Now the body of Christ is a whole lot stronger than any man, any woman, any person. It's the body of Christ. That's what you send in the battle. We're the body of Christ. We're the ones who are... So when we're talking about the actions of God, fulfilling the, the will of God, doing the things, we're the body. When it comes to the futuristic part, the covenant and the things of the fulfillment, we're the bride. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And then after that, after we're part of the body, He's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. I know many people want to go out there and teach. Well, we don't need them anymore. How is that possible? We're not today doing anything greater or more than they were in the New Testament. I mean, Peter's walking on by and the shadow of him is healing people. Cloths are going off of Paul and healing people. Demon spirits leaving. Paul leaves the meeting because a guy fell asleep and fell out of a third story window. He goes on down and prays for him and says, go back to the meeting. While they're back in the meeting... He gets up. That's some good stuff. I mean, they'd pray and buildings would shake and knock all the prisoners' bonds loose because they prayed. Angels would be dispatched and lead Peter out of the prison. <laughs> One guy would get up without the help of a microphone, video cameras, or any other such modern day paraphernalia and 5,000 people would get born again. Jesus would pray over stuff and they would multiply. I think we'll get back into the more of these gifts things going on here. They seem to do pretty well with them. But of course they get into the hang up and you know, well, we've got the Word of God now. Well, they had the Old Testament. Somehow they want to get this thing, well, we have the Word of God, we don't need this, this is what was given to us instead. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. That's just what people interpreted that. Find me another place where that was that went on. Tell me, show me another place where that was taught. It's not there. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 tell us some things about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 13 ties it all together with the working of love. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the, the fact that we are the church, the body of Christ. We are the one who goes out. We are part of His body. He is our head. He's not just over us. He is our head. And we are His arms. We are His feet. We are His body. How much is God going to take care of His body? How much do you take care of your body? How much is God going to take care of His body? Oh, He's going to take care of His body. And He's put all things, not under the head, under the feet. And this is all in the same passage of Scripture. He is specifically telling you, 
He is the head. You are the body. All things are under your feet. All things. Well, I'm not a foot. Don't matter. If you're part of the body, you're somewhere above the feet. Because <laughs> all parts of the body are above the feet. The feet are included. They're, they're part of it. But they're, they're un, all things are under the feet. There is nothing that we face that is not under us. Nothing. Because we are the body. There is the infilling and there is the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is part of this age. You can talk to God, not like a lot of people do, in doubt and unbelief, not believe in the Word of God. To say, oh, God, fill me today. Oh, God, I hope that just please come and live with me. Stop it. He is. He dwells with you. You have been made into be a house for Him to dwell in. The Holy Spirit used to, in the old age, the age before this, He lived in the Holy of Holies. If people came up and touched the Ark of the Covenant, what happened to them? Die, dead, gone. If people ventured into the Holy of Holies and were not pure, dead. If they were not a high priest, dead. If they were a high priest and were not, dead. We told you the story. They had the little bells in the bottom. The bells are on the bottom of the robe because as long as the bells are ringing, the priest is okay. How I heard it told me, if you hear tinkle, 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 thud, <laughs> it's not good. And they just take the robe because you can't go and get them. So they take the rope and just pull the high priest out. Well, let's get another one. <laughs> Lost that high priest. You couldn't get into the presence of God. But now the presence of God can dwell with you because of the work of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is this age. This is the age that we're in. This is what Paul is telling us. This is what we're at. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the infilling presence of the Holy Spirit who fills you because you are His body. The body of of Jesus Christ. The body of Jesus Christ. Well, isn't it stand to reason that the Spirit of God would fill the body of Jesus Christ, who is God? And that's what He's doing. Oh, that's what He is. That's what we have. Glory to God. And beside all that, you are a priest. <laughs> you are a priest. These are the things that you are empowered with. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are here to empower you, to help you go beyond what you were able to do, to let God use you as an instrument. And this is the age that we are in. Glory to God. Let's read that over again. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints... This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, unsearchable riches of Christ. But the Holy Spirit knows them. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. God created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Where are the principalities and powers in relation to us? Under our feet. Because all things are under our feet. But it says they're in heavenly places. Doesn't it sound like they're above us? It sounds like that. They're just in the heavenly places and they, they, they control the heaven, the, uh, the first area of atmosphere. The first level of atmosphere. That's their abode. That's their realm. It's not hell. I told you that before. They don't work out of hell. They work out of that area of the atmosphere. But those 
are under your feet because all things are under the feet of the body of Christ because he is the head. We are the body. But it says that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So what in the world is he saying in all this? It's simply this. Way back, way before Adam and Eve, Satan rebelled against God and said, I will set my throne above. And he gave us five high wills. And he got one-third of the angels in, in heaven to follow him. And one-third of them fell with him. And these make up these principalities and powers. And God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a creature that in essence is inferior. But I'm going to make them superior. And I'm going to, in this age that has come, the church age, I'm going to take these fallen individuals and raise them up to a level in which they will surpass the principalities and powers who said, I will arise. I will set my throne above the throne of God. And so we are to make known to the principalities and powers this plan, this purpose of God. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. They are under our feet. We are not to go around with them working over us, but we work them over. And we let them know, this is, this is my territory. Where I, if I'm here, I rule. If I'm not, really, not, not, if I'm not here, I can't tell you what's going on happen. But when I'm here, I rule. Abraham, in a previous dispensation, was said, whatsoever, wherever it is that your feet, wherever it is that your feet tread, I've given it to you. Now, I was talking about his specific land of Canaan. But he had to go there and tread on it. You can't just go over there and say, well, I'm going to just take over all the earth. No. But where you are, where you're treading, where you're walking, it's yours. Take it. You, you live in your home. There's no devil in hell that can rule over your home. Kick him out. He can't rule there. Kick him out. He can't be there. You go into work, demon spirits must leave. Because I'm here. I'm here. Principalities and powers, let me, let, let, me, let, let me tell you something. This is what the Word of God did. This is how He set it up. I'm over you. So go. Well, you need to consult God first on that one. I mean, make sure that it's his will. No, Jesus went about doing the will of the Father. And when he ran into demon spirits, what did he say? (laughs) See ya. Get out of here. Get out of my way. Move. We're going to make these things known. This is our dispensation. We are not to take orders from principalities and powers. We are not to be influenced. We are not to be scared by them. We are to rule over them. This took a lot of fun out of life for me. It really did. When I got a hold of this, this, because one of the things I used to absolutely be fascinated about when I was a kid, I would read stories. I would want to go to places where there were ghosts. I would want to go to places where there were unknown things happening. I just thought this was fascinating. Oh, I wanted to read stories about it. I read stories about it. And I wanted to go, I wanted to go into haunted places and just stay the night. I wanted to. Desired it. Oh, I thought this would be great. You know, when we go into old abandoned buildings, you know where I would go? The basement. Just what I did. I would go to the basement. And then I read it and found out about this. And it's like, oh, man, there's no fun in this anymore. Even if I run into anything, I just got to kick them out. (laughs) 
<laughs> just all the fun was gone. <laughs> so you, you go in these places, will you get out of here? Leave me alone. <laughs> Who was it? That was it. Uh, Jerry Savelle, I think, was telling the story the one time. That that was was it him who uh, I mean he was he was in I'm not sure if it was a foreign country or something but demon spirits came and messed up his room. Was it Lester? Lester Summerall came, came in, messed up his room. I mean, made shook the bed. I mean, I mean Lester Summerall has seen some stuff in the realm of the spirit that most of us have never even thought happened. Unbelievable, some of the stories he would tell us and one of the few times that I've seen him. But shook the bed, shook up the room, messed it all up, and so he, he kicked them out. And then afterwards, you know, looked around at the mess and said, oh, I should have made them clean it up first. <laughs> <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth came downstairs after hearing a noise. His dog was all upset. The dog was all barking. He came on downstairs. Back then, they don't have electric lights to flip on. He flipped on his lantern, came on down, and saw the devil sitting in a rocking chair in the living room. And said, oh, it's only you. And blew out the light and went up to bed. <laughs> we don't need to be in fear of these folks. If a spiritual force, if a ghost or anything like that shows up, where did it come from? Pit of hell. Because if it's an unsaved person who died, they're in hell. If it's a saved person who died, they're in heaven. One can't go and the other one doesn't want to. <laughs> It is not who they appear to be. It is only one thing. Just kick them out. Don't be afraid. Because you are the church, the body of Christ, and all things are under your feet. All things are under your feet. There is no fear. Nothing that you need to fear. Nothing that you need to be afraid of. You are over all things. All. Glory to God. Don't let any of those ghost stories mess you up. Now, if I read ghost stories, I just get bored. It's a demon spirit's messing up stuff again. I mean, that's stupid people believe this sort of stuff. Ah, and I know they got all kinds of stories because the demon spirits want people to believe. They want them to fear. You don't need to be in fear of these things. You can walk into the midst of something, demon spirits all over the place having a party. Kick them out. Because you can. Well, I don't own the place. Are you there? I'm here now. You can't do nothing. You're under my feet. They can't tell you, no, this is our, no, get out of here. As long as I'm here, this is mine. I don't know what happens when I leave, but I'm here, it's not going to go on. It won't go on if you say so. I have a rule over that. Glory to God. Well, you can get excited over that if you want to. But this is, what, this is just the introduction of what he wants to get into here in three. He's kind of just saying, you all know about this stuff, right? Make sure you all know about this stuff because I'm going to get into some things and I need to make sure you all understand this, that you all know this. So we just want to cover this thing and make sure. But live as one who's over, not one who's under. Live as one who's the body of Christ and not one who's a fly on the wall. You are the body of Christ. All things are under your feet. All things. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes because He dwells inside of you. He dwells. He makes His home. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes. Wherever you go is the body of Christ because you are part of the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. And all things are under your feet. And that's the viewpoint you have to have for every place that you go. Every place. No demon in hell should ever be able to intimidate you 
or move you to do any such thing. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the power of God that's put inside of us. We thank you that we have been made to be the body of Christ. Glory to God. We thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit, for the infilling power that the Holy Spirit puts in us. We thank you, Father, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit who have been poured out for us and that we walk in them. Glory to God. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory that we walk in the light of this revelation, knowing that the age that we are in, though maybe the times may be hard, maybe the things that we're up against are big, but so are the things you've given us at our disposal. Father, we want to go into this fight well prepared, understanding what it is that you have given us. Paul is telling us this is the special age. You have knowledge of some things that everyone else wanted to see, but no one else could because it wasn't revealed yet, but it's revealed for you. And Father, these things are revealed for us. We were able to see things in the Word of God that people before us couldn't see. We thank you for that knowledge. We thank you for that understanding. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. One more thing before we, we uh, kick this one out. The things that Paul is bringing out in his epistles are the mysteries of the church age. The things that are taught in other places are not necessarily the mysteries. They are part of, the, of all the other, other things. When Paul teaches of the rapture of the church... It is part of the mystery, which is why you know that when Jesus teaches about the second coming, it's not the rapture, because Jesus did not teach anything in the Gospels that was part of the mystery. That was Paul for Paul to preach. The millennial reign is revealed in the Old Testament. The tribulation is revealed in the Old Testament. The second coming of Christ the first coming of Christ is revealed in the Old Testament. All these things are not part of the mystery. But the church was not known by the people of the Old Testament. It's part of the mystery. And neither was its rapture. There was room for it. But they didn't understand it. And they didn't teach it. Everything they taught had room to fit it. But Jesus did not teach of the rapture of the church because it wasn't part or what he was to reveal. The mystery of the church was to be waited until later on to be revealed to people. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know about it, but it wasn't his calling to reveal that. It was his calling to set the stage and to introduce the things that were to come. But Paul was the one who was supposed to come in here and do all this. Now, who do you think gave Paul the revelation? He was called up into heaven. Who do you think he sat down with? Jesus. <laughs> Paul, let me tell you some things. <laughs> Now, I want you to go out there and teach these folks these things. I couldn't teach them when I was down there because it wasn't time, but now it's time for them to hear these things. And you need to reveal it. And you need to write about it. Glory to God. Any comments or questions or things to throw out?